Good morning. We we are in our series of asking for a friend. If uh, you are new today, my name is Jacob, the associate pastor here. Um, And if I haven't met you, uh, I would love to after the service. And uh, I am glad that you are here today. Um, In this series, asking for a friend, we are looking at questions that you have asked um, that we are going to try to answer. And so um, somebody asked, should pineapples be on pizza? Yes, I like them. So I'm the one with the mic. All right. If mushrooms are allowed, pineapples are allowed. All right. Let's move on. Um, I was kidding. Um, If it's a good pizza, it should only have cheese, sauce, and pepperoni. All right. Hey, so um, now the real question for today, uh, the question is, should Christians be involved in politics? All right. That's a little bit more difficult. Um, And I think how I answer that could make you even madder than the previous question I asked. Uh, And first, I want you to know that I have plenty of blue and red shirts, and I was not going to wear one of those colors today. Um, I didn't even wear blue jeans or black ones. Um, And when we were looking at this question, should Christians be involved in politics? Well, the quick answer is yes. Um, But obviously what we have to do today is we have to figure out to what degree. um, How much are we called to be involved what does it look like for a Christian? To what extent are we involved? And so today we're going to start by looking at the role of government. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 4. You can follow along if you have a Bible or a device, or you can follow along up here on the screen. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 4 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we see that God has put in place the institution of government. That the government, the institution, the, um, at its core, what a government is, the authority that oversees a group of people was instituted by God and is entrusted by God, right? That it is set up, the governing authorities are God's idea and they are set up to do his will, to be his servant. What did he tell Adam and Eve in the beginning? He said, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue the earth. He gave Adam the responsibility of being the authority over the earth. It is the first institution of government that we see and God instituted it. That God put it in place and he gave Adam this authority that the purpose of government, the purpose of the institution of authority is to um, keep justice and to prevent evil. That those are qualities of God that he has entrusted to other people. That he has entrusted to people, to nations, that God is sovereign, sovereign over all. 
He is sovereign over government. And so that states and political um, governments are put in place by God. They are his servants, as the scripture says. So who is to fear these servants of God? It's the wrongdoer, right? It is not the one who follows the laws. It's the one who does not follow the laws. It is the evildoer who should be fearful of the government. Right? That's what it tells us. James Madison, the United States fourth president, said, if men were angels, there would be no need for government. That's obvious, isn't it? That if we wouldn't look at another person's things and desire them in our own hearts, if we wouldn't um, get anger and commit murders, if we were just nice and we treated other people how we wanted to be treated, there'd be no need for government. But God, knowing the evil hearts of men, instituted governments. St. Augustine, not St. Augustine, St. Augustine is in Florida, St. Augustine is from Hippo. Government is a necessary evil and it is necessary because of evil. He says it's a necessary evil, which means that governments probably aren't perfect. So God put governments into place. Does that mean that all governments are good? Absolutely not. Because they are ran by humans, right? That although God has put the institution of government, he has created the sphere of government, they are still ran by sinful humans with evil hearts and desires. So, a tyrant, a tyrannical, an oppressive government is absolutely wrong. 100%. It is not okay, and it is not good. It is not how God intended it to work. However, at its core, each government, how bad as it may be, is still at its core fulfilling the role that God has given it. To create order and justice for the people in their care. So that's why historians, theologians will often say that any government, even if it's not good, is still better than no government at all. Any government, any authority over a state or a nation is better than, cre- uh, than complete anarchy, right? That's not good. If you put a bunch of teenage boys together and say, hey, be good, do what you're supposed to do, you know that anarchy doesn't work. It's not good. Things are going to get broken. Feelings are going to get hurt. going to have some black eyes. So God has put in place the governing authority that it is his creation and he has placed them there to act as his servants and all government only has as much power as God entrusts to it. That's what we need to look at first. The governments, that authorities, that nation states are only given as much power and authority as God entrusts to them. So, with that out of the way, does God want his people to be involved in politics? Does he want them to be involved in government? Well, we see a few examples in scripture that give us a pretty good idea. So first we see Israel, that God creates civil laws and civil government for the nation of Israel. And he appoints Moses to be the head authoritarian figure over this nation. So God put in place laws, he put in place policies that were going to set them apart, that were going to give them a way to live that was different than the rest of these pagan nations, that he was setting them apart with laws and policies and rules. 
And he appointed Moses as the leader of that. And then we see that Daniel, Daniel was a Jewish man, but he was taken into captivity in a pagan nation of Babylon. And what happens is Daniel served the Lord in Babylon. Daniel, not David, Daniel served the Lord where he was. And because of that, he was promoted in the political rankings in Babylon. And we see in verse or in chapter two, verse 48, it says, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel served God in his role of government. New Testament, we see that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector for Rome, that this was a corrupt tax um, society, that they would um, take money off the top and put in their own pockets, and Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, and Jesus did not tell Zacchaeus, hey, quit being a tax collector, quit working for Rome, but what, Zac what Jesus did was he changed Zacchaeus' future. So Zacchaeus, in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 8, says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. We see that God has called people into places of politics, of government. Zacchaeus did not leave his job, did not leave his position, but he just used his position for the glory of God, to help those that were in need to help the poor. So, this is certainly not a calling for everyone. We are each gifted differently, and we are called to serve the Lord differently in whatever area or vocation of our life that we serve. I certainly am not going to run for city council. I'm not going to serve in any political office unless the Lord changes some things in my life. My, my little community that I live in, um, our HOA was handled by the builder and it just got transferred over to the actual people who live in our community. And uh, they just did a vote. And uh, one of the people in our community, his name's Stephen Jumper, he used to come to this church, but we kicked him out because of this. Um, <laughs> he, didn't. he wrote my name in, right? He, he voted for me. Um, and luckily, one vote is not enough to get you on the board of our HOA. Um, but but I'm not called to any sort of political office, but I'm also not called to be an engineer or an electrician or a realtor or a teacher, right? That I'm not called to that. I have my calling and I am serving where God has called me. But if God has called you to serve in any of those other areas, serve and love God and do his will in that place. And guess what? That includes politics. If the Lord has called you to be a politician, to work in government, whether that's local, state or national, do it to the glory of God. It is good that God calls people to represent Christ in the political sphere. It is a good thing. Believers are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And that's in all areas of our culture. The government is such an impactful, important place in our nation. Why would God say stay away from it? Why would it, we not have people who represent Christ well in that sphere of influence? So God is the one that created the institution of government and God calls some people into politics. So what then about all us normal citizens? What about all of us who are not ever going to run for office? How should we be involved? Well, there's a story um, and it's in the last week of Jesus' life. 
And we see that Jesus has this encounter, and um, I think it gives us some insight into this question. How should we answer it? So in Jesus' time, he was living in polytheistic, pagan Rome, who worshipped their Caesar, who was in charge. And that slavery was normal. Slaves were treated poorly. They had no rights. They couldn't own possessions. They could be killed without the masters um, even having to need a reason without punishment. They had corrupt taxes. They had high taxes on different people. They could tax some higher than they taxed others uh, based off whatever they wanted to do. They would tax minorities higher than they would tax other people. Um, they were treated poorly. They were oppressive toward racial minorities. The Jews were included in this. Jesus was a Jew. They had evil leaders who were corrupt. They treated women and children next to slaves. They had almost no rights. They were abusive. This is the nation that Jesus was living in. They had Caesar, as I said, who would be the king of Rome, and he was looked to as a deity, as a god. This is where Jesus lived. I think by us seeing how he was involved in politics in this place, we could see how we should be involved in politics in our places. So, Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 17, we see this situation. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So here's the situation. On one side, Jesus has the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious elect. They were the ones who represented the nation of Israel. They obeyed the laws of the Torah that God had given to them. They were the ones that you would look to. If you thought about Israel, you would look at the Pharisees. They upheld the law. They were good in everything that they did, right? And then on the other side, you have the Herodians. They were the followers of Herod. Herod was basically the governor of Rome over the nation of Israel, over the land of Israel. And so Herod the Great, if you remember, was the one who put to death all the babies um, when Jesus was born, right? That's Herod the Great. He had a son, Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the one who beheaded John the Baptist and would be instrumental in uh, Jesus's death only about a week after this scenario that we're looking at. And so the Herodians were for Rome. They were for Herod. And so if Jesus would say, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, the Pharisees are going to say, you are turning your back on your people. You are turning your back on Israel. And you are facing it toward these oppressive Romans. You are facing and you are giving your money to this deity, this idolater. And if Jesus would say, no, don't pay your taxes, the Herodians would look at Jesus and they would say, he is a revolutionary. He is against Rome. He is against the taxes. We can put him to death. That's the situation that Jesus is in. Verse 18, let's see his answer. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So what do we get from Jesus' answer? 
I think the first thing that we see is that Christians are to be good citizens. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He is the governing official. He is in authority over the place that you live. And so if Caesar is calling you to pay a tax and God has instituted the government, governmental authorities, then pay your tax. Be a good citizen. And we can couple what Jesus says here with another scripture in Romans 13. We looked at verse 1 through 4 just a few minutes ago and saw that God has put in place and instituted government. And now in verse 5 through 7, we see a little bit further. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Pay your taxes, pay your revenues, pay your respects, pay your honor. We are called to be obedient to the authorities that are in place where we live. We're not called to revolt. We're not called to riot. We're called to be good citizens, even if they're not perfect. Caesar and Rome were about as horrible as you can get. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But, but Jesus, what about, what about the fact that he thinks he's a God? Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. What about the fact that he treats Israelites horribly? Pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. We are called to be good citizens. Christian, you are called to be a good citizen. And I'm sorry to tell you, but pay your taxes. Titus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Remind them, so I'm reminding you, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Maybe you pay your taxes. Maybe you don't skim a little here or there. Maybe you don't fudge the numbers. Maybe you're honest with your taxes. Maybe you obey the laws. Maybe you actually drive the speed limit and have a halo over your head. Do you speak evil of those who are in authority in our nation, in our state, in our city? Do you speak evil against somebody who thinks or votes differently than you do? Do you spend your time quarreling over things of this government and of politics? Because right here, says avoid quarreling do not speak evil of anyone christian that's what we're called to do we're called to be good citizens to be above reproach to speak well about those in authority to speak well about all people so let's go back to jesus's answer Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So this coin, this denarius was about one day's wages. And that's what each person would have to pay for their taxes. And so there was a picture of Caesar's face on this coin. There was also something on this coin that said that Caesar was a god. Um, and so Jesus 
says what? Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give it rightfully back to him. His face is on it. Give it to him. And then he goes on to say, and give to God the things that are God's. You see, if the Pharisees, if the Herodians were actually asking Jesus and they actually cared about what his answer was and they wanted to know, they were curious, they would have asked a follow-up question, right? Well, we know that the coin is Caesar's, but what is God's? What are we giving to God? And Jesus' answer would have been, whose image is on you? Caesar's image is on the coin. It belongs to Caesar. Whose image is on you, Christian? Whose inscription and likeness is on you? Each human, all of us in here, are created in the image of God. And Jesus is saying, give yourself, your whole life, to God. It is His. That you belong to him, that although we are called to be good citizens and although we belong to our nation, we ultimately belong to God first and foremost. Christians are dual citizens. We have an obligation to two different parties. We have an obligation to Caesar and to give to Caesar, give to our nation what is rightfully theirs, and we have an obligation to God, and that means that we need to give our lives to God. Our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Do you hear that? Our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. So if you have your allegiance to your nation or your state above your allegiance to your kingdom of God, it's, in, it's wrong and you need to reverse it. You need to change it. Because ultimately, we obey our highest authority. We obey our highest authority above anything else. So, what happens when a government's not perfect? Rome certainly was not perfect. Guess who else isn't perfect? These United States of America. Not perfect. Some of you are shocked right now. You didn't know that. So what if our government demands something that is in conflict with what God demands from us. We obey God. We obey what God has called us to do before we obey what the state has called us to do. Acts chapter 4, we see that Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel and healing a crippled man. They are arrested. They are taken before the Sanhedrin or, or the governmental authorities and um, we see, what do they tell them? They say, should we obey you rather than God? For we must obey God rather than man. Almost every single apostle of Jesus was martyred for their faith. Almost every single disciple was put to death because they stood up for what God had called them to do, even though it went against the state of Rome. Our government, our state, is a legitimate authority in our life, but it is not the ultimate authority in our life. Good governments aren't perfect, and we shouldn't expect them to be. The U.S. is a good government, but it is not perfect. And it means that it may ask us to go against what God has already told us to be for. 
and we should obey God, we should be obedient to God, that the only time you are allowed civil disobedience is when it is in obedience to God. It's the only time. So we obey our highest authority, but also we don't compromise our mission. Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth. That Jesus could have came in and he could have overthrown the oppressive Roman rule. But did he do that? He could have restored Israel to the nation that it previous was. He could have seen reform. He could have taken over. He could have uh, made Israel great again. He didn't. That wasn't his mission. It wasn't his mission and it's not our mission. You see that Jesus was focused on the hearts of people. Jesus was focused on transforming lives with the gospel. That he was here to overthrow the reign of sin and death, not a political party. That Jesus was not here to um, restore or, or fix a policy or to change a law, but Jesus was here to overthrow the reign of sin and death on this earth. That is our mission. That is our goal. That is what God has called you and me to do. Our hope is not in political reform, but is in transformation through the love of Christ, church. That the love of Christ is the only thing that is going to change this place that we live. This doesn't happen through political reform. It doesn't happen through a policy change or a change in a law. Now, hear me, hear me. You were called to vote for things that are for God. You were called to vote against things that go against the character of God. You should vote for policies. You should vote for laws. You should vote. We live in a nation where we actually have the right to vote. That is unprecedented. That's not normal. In the history of this planet, people don't have a say in their government. So we are called to be good citizens, and to be a good citizen means that we vote. And we are called to vote for things, for policies, for laws that promote the things of God. Absolutely, 100%. We should vote for justice. We should be for sanctity of life. We should be for the poor and the oppressed and the disadvantaged. There's no questions there. If you disagree with that, then we can have a talk afterwards. And we for, should vote for those policies. But those things are the job of the church. To bring justice and sanctity of life and to help the poor and oppressed. That's the job of the church, not the government. That the church is called to minister to the homeless and to the poor and to the widow and to the orphan and to the, uh, the disadvantaged and those who are not being served. We are called to serve those people. We can't pass the buck onto the government and say, you do it for us. I think in our society, we are always passing the buck and saying, can you do this for us? I see that as... As parents, a lot of the times it's a lot easier for this professional teacher to teach my kid than for me to teach my kid. It's a lot easier for this youth pastor to teach my kid than for me to teach my kid the ways of God. It's a lot easier for me to send them and pay them and do this and to pass the buck and give the responsibility to somebody else to raise our kid and to do things in life. And we can't pass the buck as the church to the government. 
the second that the church starts voting for these things instead of doing these things is the second that we are losing our credibility. If you vote for these things, but you don't do these things, you're not being the church. To put our hopes and our efforts into a policy reform, guess what? That's a shallow goal. It's an important thing. God calls us to do it, but if your hope and your effort and your time is spent changing, reforming a law, it's a shallow goal because we are called to overthrow the reign of evil and sin and death in the world. That doesn't happen through human government. It happens when the church is the church. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity has a quote. He says, To spend your time altering the state when you could be offering people eternal salvation is a bad bargain. To abandon the message that gives life to the eternal soul in favor of temporal change prostitutes the purpose of a believer's faith. It would be like a heart surgeon and abandoning his life-saving practice to become a makeup artist. We have an eternal mission. We can't set that aside for a temporary one. Christian, don't compromise your mission for something lesser. America has the best government known in the history of the world. A democratic republic. We have an opportunity to have a say in how our government is ran. It's the best one yet. It's doing good. First place. How's that going for us? Is your hope in that government? Is your hope in those people? Our mission is to love the world. Our mission is to be salt and light wherever God has called us to be. Our mission is to serve those that are underserved, to love those that are unloved, to help those that need help. And we are compromising this goal because we are waving the flag of politics. One side or another, I don't care. Stop waving a flag. You are compromising your mission. We are compromising our witness Christians, we are called to seek unity, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation is under the umbrella of Christ, that we are all saved, we are all brothers and sisters because of that, but we are dividing that because of a political argument, because of something that is temporary, it is lesser, it is a lesser mission, and we are putting that first. It's killing our witness. Last thing I have for you today. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful life and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. As Christians, we do not fight our battle in the White House or the Supreme Court we don't fight it at our capital. We don't fight our battle in the physical realm, but we fight our battles in the spiritual realm. I urge that with supplications and prayers and intercessions, that's where we fight. We go to the Lord and we ask Him to move, 
that we are the church and we do the things that the church is called to do. We live out our mission to love and serve the poor and those that need it. We live our lives serving to seek justice and to seek sanctity of life and to seek these things that are for God and that God is for but we go to God and we pray and we ask, are you praying for your leaders? Not praying that God will take that leader out of office, but are you praying for that leader? Are you praying that God would use him to fulfill God's mission in this place? Are you praying that that person, that leader, would be able to see God's will be done in this place? That he would be God's servant as scripture tells us that he is or she is. Are you thanking God for those people who are willing to serve people? That's what we're called to do. Are we called to be involved in politics? Yes, absolutely. Every single one. And it starts with prayer. So if you're not involved in politics with praying, let's start. But realize, church, that our hope is not in a policy reform it's not in policy reformation, but it is in heart transformation and kingdom restoration. Our hope is not, our job is not, our mission is not in policy reformation, but it is in heart transformation and kingdom restoration. So let's do that. Let's be the church. Let's be good citizens. Let's vote for policies that convict you and are for God. Let's give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but let's give to God what is God. And that's our life. That's all of us. Let's not put anything lesser above that. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you, first of all, that you have put in place authorities. You have put in place authority and governmental structures that, that can seek to uphold justice and prevent evil. Jesus, I thank you that we live in the nation that we do, where we have the opportunity to vote and have a say, where we have freedoms to come into this place and worship you, to dive into your word, to look at what you tell us. God, I first off, I, I thank you for that. I pray for our leaders politically. I pray for um, our leaders that you would use them to, um, to uphold justice. I pray that you would use them for your will, that your kingdom would be uh, would come into this place on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, I pray that the church would be the church. I pray that we would not sacrifice or compromise our mission that you have given us to seek and save the lost with anything lesser. I pray that our allegiances will not be to one side or the other. Lord, I pray that right now we would realize that there are Christians who believe in you, who follow you, who trust in you, that vote differently than us. I pray that we would seek unity, unity in the love of Christ and not be divided by lesser things. Jesus, I thank you for your example. I thank you for your words and your truth. Lord, I pray for the person that is in this room who does not know you. I pray for the person who is struggling, who is seeking. I pray this morning that they would find you, Jesus. If that is you, 
pray that you would mark on your connect card that that you are trusting Jesus for the first time. I know this message did not lend to an invitation to accept Christ. But I pray that if the Lord is calling you, if you are here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, I pray that you would be so bold to mark on your connect card, to tear it off, turn it into our giving box on your way out. We want to contact you. We want to walk with you through what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that our hope is not in political reform. I thank you that our hope is not in human beings, but our hope is in the Son of God coming, dying for us, giving his life so that we may have life of our own. Lord, that you have overthrown the dominion of sin and evil and death in this world, and you give us hope and peace. I pray that we would live in that, that we would walk in that in our mission. We give ourselves to you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.